You're listening to a message delivered at First Family Church from the series Intentional Discipleship for Normal People. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. We are in an eight-week series on discipleship. And we're basing this series out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We're taking it pretty much phrase by phrase. Can I catch you up to the phrase we're at today? I'll need to make some pretty good tracks in this service so I don't fall behind. Here's a quick review of how we've gotten to this week. We've looked at the genetics of discipleship in the word child in this phrase, excuse me, in this verse. We've seen the source of discipleship, and that was seen especially in the phrase about the grace of God being the strength for this task. We've seen the pattern of discipleship that we're to... Um, take what we've heard among many witnesses, so it's an audible, visible, and communal aspect to true learning. And then then we're to entrust that to other faithful men. That's the command of discipleship. And this week we understand more about the kind of person to which we are entrusting um, this truth, this this, um, thing we're learning. And so today we're going to look at the qualifier of discipleship, and we're going to analyze to a Good degree, this word faithful. So this is kind of where we're at. Let's read the entire two verses again one more time together. I just want to make sure you're clear on on what we're after in this eight-week series. So 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says in just one reading, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. This is the verse that commands Timothy to be involved in learning to obey Jesus and helping others do the same thing. That's our very succinct, simple definition of discipleship. Learning to obey Jesus, helping someone else do the same thing. And we talked about this a number of weeks. This week I want to focus on the kind of person that we're to teach this to. Timothy's instruction here as a pastor, is to do that to faithful men. By application, I think we can learn that as we look around and say, what kind of person really becomes the next discipler? Remember, discipleship is learning to obey Jesus and helping someone else obey Him as well. As we look around and say, who can I begin to invest in? How can I multiply in someone else's life? The trait that we should at least be on the lookout for is this trait of faithfulness. It's true most exegetically and textually for Timothy as a pastor looking to train up other pastors. But by application, we can say, okay, so I'm looking for faithful people. In other words, we're looking for something, but it's also the aim of something. This idea of being faithful means that we're trying to spot something in its seed form, but we're willing to say this is also what it should look like in its fruit form, faithfulness. Do you not find it interesting that this word, faithful, in some ways is kind of a summary, overarching trait that Paul uses to say, Timothy, this is the kind of guy you've got to find when you're looking for elders and pastors. A man who is faithful. He could have used a lot of words. He could have used a lot of good words, first of all, like humble. He didn't say humble, though, did he? He could have used um, spirit-led He could have used modest. He could have used uh, a number of words that would have been good. He could have used a number of American words as well. He could have used energetic, charismatic. 
He could have used powerful. He didn't use any of those words, whether they were good or even just kind of more man-made kind of words. He didn't use any of those words. He used this one word to say to Timothy, find, say it with me, faithful men. Interesting, isn't it? Why did he use that word? That's the question I want to answer today. What makes faithfulness so important? Why did Paul say, in a very categorical, summarizing fashion, faithfulness is what we're after? Well, here's the short answer, and I hope that I can convince you that it's also the biblical answer over the next several minutes. I think it's because faithful people finish well. Most assuredly, this is the kind of person that finishes well. And I draw that, first of all, primarily just from the text, because what is the job of the faithful person? Look at the next phrase. We'll cover it in the next few weeks, but look at the next phrase. Who shall be able to do what? Teach others also. So discipleship inherently, by necessity, includes a passing on, a multiplication. That will not happen if the person who's, who's receiving it isn't faithful because they'll get it and they'll say, oh, thanks, I'm going to hoard it and keep it and I'm not passing it on. Then they're not faithful. Faithfulness is the person who once they receive, they know that, oh, it's my responsibility now to pass this on. I think that's best summarized as someone who finishes. They receive, they hand off. They receive, they hand off. He describes that as a faithful person. That's the kind of person that does that well. Now, I can prove that, I think, from the text. But I think I can also bring some further evidence for you that the idea of faithfulness is of high value and, of a, and is a priority matter to God also. I want to do that through a statement and a story. The statement is found in 1 Corinthians 4, and the story is found in Matthew 25. We'll look at both of those briefly to try to bring some further evidence to the idea that it's faithfulness that makes us finish well, and it's faithfulness that's, what, that, that's really what God's after. That's what a disciple really just embraces as a categorical kind of overarching trait. Faithfulness. So let's start with this statement. Let me bring some further evidence to this premise that faithful people are the kind that finish well by having you look at a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Here, Paul again is speaking. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I'll do this briefly, but I just want you to see here he uses the word faithful as this end game of people who are called stewards and servants. You see verse 1? This is how one should regard us, Paul speaking here of himself, and those who are with him in the gospel work of planting churches. I also believe, by the way, the word us there might refer as well to those within that body of believers. How should other people look at us, not only those who were in this initial gospel work, but those who came along to join it? He says here, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, look at us as managers. Look at us as slaves, under rowers. We're not the captain of the ship. We're not the owner of the property. We're just managing things. That's how you should look at us. 
And what is actually required of managers, verse 2 says, the word moreover there means in, in summary or additionally or to, to cap this off, he says it's required of stewards, managers, that they be found, say it with me church, and the word found there indicates to us that Paul's got kind of a two-pronged vision. He's saying there is the sense in which you are seen as faithful initially, but you're also seen as faithful ultimately. Like, like man, they're faithful, but then at the end, they're also like found faithful. Like, wow, you, you did this over the long haul. It's much like 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. You entrust it to faithful men. There's this seed form of faithfulness, but then it grows to be in fruit form. Like, wow, faithfulness characterizes your life. Paul here says in 1 Corinthians 4, we're just stewards, we're just servants, and here's what's really required of those kinds of people. They've got to be found faithful. He's prioritizing, highlighting this essential categorical trait, isn't he? Jesus taught this very same thing. So that's the statement in 1 Corinthians 4. Look how Jesus taught it in Matthew 25 in the story of the ten talents. Matthew 25. This is a parable that was used to teach about the kingdom of God. That's what the pronoun there, verse 14, says, it, it will be like a man going on a journey. It refers to the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to get into all the eschatological meanings of this entire parable that begins in verse 14. I'm not going to try to get into all of those things. There's much we could discuss later about that. I just want to read this with this simple hermeneutical filter. What does this tell us about what God values? You see, when you read the Bible, you study the Bible, you can learn a, a lot of theological, eschatological, ecclesiological lessons in a lot of passages. You can also learn lessons about just what God values. They won't describe the whole passage. They won't give you all of its meaning, but they do give you important meanings. So as we read this, I just want to ask this question. What does this show us about what God values? What does this teach us about God? Because our point isn't to understand this parable totally today. It's to highlight what Paul taught in 2 Timothy 2. So this parable, it's a man going on a journey. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them as property. Isn't that an interesting word? It's the same word used in 2 Timothy, to entrust something. You invest it in them. You ask them to manage it well. He did this by giving to one of his servants five talents, to another two, to another one. And I won't read the whole parable except to say that when he came back from his long journey, he called them to account. And then to the one who had given, to whom he had given five, that was multiplied to ten, he said in verse 21, you see it on the screen behind me, well done, good and what? Servant, you have been what? Okay, you could say, well, Todd, he's emphasizing the word good there too. Yes, but it's the word faithful that's repeated in this parable, by the way. The word good's mentioned, yes, but it's the word faithful that's repeated the most. So I just want to encourage you, when you look at this parable, you begin to see how God values and prioritizes faithfulness. He had five, he multiplied to five, he managed the property well, the investment. The man said, good and faithful servant, Come on in and enjoy uh, the joy of the Lord. And in fact, later we'll see that um, he gave him the other talent that the one didn't use. So then the man who got two and multiplied to four, he got the same commendation. Verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. But then the one who got one, who just simply took it and hid it and sat on it and said, you know what, I don't want anything to happen to it. I don't want to mess with it. It's in good shape. It'll be fine like it is. 
when he comes back, I'll just give it to him like he gave it to me. Then he was under judgment. Uh, the one was taken away from him and given to the one who had five. And I think in a textual sense, he's here speaking to Israel who did not manage the Lord's or, the, or God's investment of his kingdom to them initially. They rejected it and said, we don't want to multiply this. And so this is speaking to that in a textual way. But we're not asking that question this morning. We're asking, does this show us what God values? And it does. It shows that God values faithfulness to his purposes, doesn't it? Each time he rewarded those who were his servants with a commendation of faithfulness before their faithfulness. So in Christ's parables... In Paul's instruction and in Paul's words to Timothy, we find this idea of faithfulness really rising to the top. It's it's the categorical kind of overarching trait of a disciple of Christ. That's why it's the trait we should be looking for, both in seed form, someone who's faithful, but also in fruit form, as they continue to grow while their faithfulness increases. So here's the question I hope you're asking. Well, how do we spot that in someone then? If it's really of this high importance, if faithfulness matters this much, that both Paul and Jesus, the New Testament, if it seems to be kind of the criteria in which we're judged, have we been faithful or not? How do we spot that and what does that look like? That's a good question you're asking right now, I know. So let's answer that, can we? I want to answer it very quickly. Because I want to give you some insight into what faithfulness actually is. Because often we, we say that word, we throw it around like, I just want to be faithful, man. You know? I just want to be faithful. I, just want to, I don't want to quit. And that's a good goal, no doubt. But have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean to be faithful? Like, How does that show up? What does it look like? I would submit to you that this parable, this story, and the statement of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, these two things combined show us six things about faithfulness that I'll run, with you, I'll run through with you briefly. Okay, Six principles that I think make up faithfulness that you should look for in someone's life and that you should strive for in your life. They won't be done perfectly. They'll be there in seed form. But these are the things that should grow in us so that fruitfulness becomes, excuse me, faithfulness becomes a real fruit in us. Here they are, drawn from this parable and from 1 Corinthians 4, six Character traits, six things that faithful people understand. They understand, first of all, what I call the ownership principle. They know who holds the title. Are you with me? In other words, they're not in charge. The words used are servants and stewards. The word steward's a big word for what? Manager. So you can spot faithfulness in a person, either in a small degree or large degree, when, you, when, when they speak in terms of like, well, I, I, it's not my ship to run. It's not my church, it's the Lord's church. It's not my house, it's not my possession, it's not my life, it's the Lord's life. He makes the call. I'm just managing the few years He's given me. I'm just managing the people God's put under our care. Does that make sense, guys? Someone who understands ownership, that God holds the title to everything, they understand faithfulness. They also understand the responsibility principle. They understand that though God is the owner, that he has given them a task, something to do. So they're not lazy. They don't say, hey, man, God's the owner. I don't do anything except just sit on the couch of my spiritual remote, you know. 
That's not their response or attitude. They're involved in the work. They take it seriously. They know they've been given a task to do. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Work for the night is coming. And so they know they're not the owner, but they do know they're a manager. And they've got responsibility. When you see that in someone, you're spotting faithfulness either emerging or or being displayed. They also understand the treasure principle. That what they're managing is of high value. Now watch this church. Please listen very carefully. That they're not managing their own hobbies. They're not managing their children to be good American citizens only. They're not managing their house so it looks the sharpest on the street. They're not managing their finances so that they can have the largest amount of income in the bank. They're managing all of that so that God gets glory by how they utilize it for His purposes. So hospitality, generosity, those become earmarks of people who are faithful because they're managing not just what they have, they're managing what they have for God's purposes because that's the treasure principle. Man, what we're managing is the gospel. It's the people of God. It's God's purposes. It's the mission of God. We've been entrusted with this while He's on a long journey, so to speak, We're waiting for him to come back. And while he's in heaven waiting to return, we're responsible to make sure the gospel gets from generation to generation intact. That's a priceless privilege. They understand that. That there's a lot more at stake than just making sure we, you know, get through the next 10 years. Hope you're, hope you're kind of catching this. We're managing um, and stewarding a priceless treasure here. The gospel of our Lord. The church of Christ. Wow. They also understand what I call the accountability principle. That there is a day coming in which they will have to give an account for the tab that's being accumulated regarding their faithfulness. Now, if you don't want to admit this, if you'd rather deny this, that's your prerogative, but you can't read the scriptures, whether it's the parables or the instruction, and say, well, we're not going to give an account for our faithfulness ever. That's just false. We actually are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, on speaking of the judgment of Christ and our, our service, Paul calls the Lord the righteous judge. And so I just think we need to kind of embrace this this truth, church. There is a day coming in which we will be judged, watch this, for our faithfulness. And if I can be this bold with you, and I can be, if you want to know what really is the criteria for the judgment, at least in the parables about the kingdom and how we operate within the kingdom, while the king is actually away, the primary criteria is have we multiplied what he's given us? Let that settle on you for a bit. The one who took, had five got ten. Two, four. But the one who just had the one and sat on it was judged. You see, that's why I think the heart of discipleship, and I've shared this in most every week I've preached on this series, Travis as well. The real heart of discipleship, what sets it apart from other ships in the sea, so to speak, is the fact that discipleship necessarily includes multiplication Timothy was to find men who would be 
faithful and are faithful so that they would what? Pass that on to other faithful men. Christ said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He said, make disciples of all nations. You cannot discuss discipleship and then eliminate multiplication. And here's another reason why. Because it's actually the criteria upon which we're judged. What did you do with what I gave you? Well, I sat on it and I thanked you for it. Is that good enough, God? No. Because God wants us to see the priceless value of kingdom inclusion and with grateful hearts share that with others. We'll give an account one day for how we're managing, how we're stewarding this kingdom while the king is away. Faithful people also understand the deadline principle. That there is a day coming in which we will give this account. So often when you're around these people, their attitude is not one that's too concerned about the present. Doesn't mean that they're absent-minded, okay? Doesn't mean that they're not connected in the moment. But they're the kind of people that are thinking more about that day and the report they're going to give than they are necessarily about today and what other men or women think about them. They're aware that their real answer will be to God one day for their faithfulness, not necessarily to men and women currently who are judging them or interpreting them. They're also aware of what I call the proportion principle. You might could use the word security here. they're, they're, They're not really insecure. They're content knowing that sometimes someone's given 10 talents, some are given five, some are given two, but it's doing the best you have with what you've been given. It's multiplying just what you have, whether it's one, two, four, six, eight, for God's glory. And it's not comparing that to someone else who's been given a lot. And let's just be honest. In our realm, in America, where we're most uh, aware of things, there are some people that God's just gifted and ordained to have an incredible amount of influence. They're well-known. They have large churches. They, have, uh, you know, they, they just preach and, and people flock to hear them. We should be thankful for that. We're just it's assuming that it's evangelical and healthy and biblical, right? Okay, but as that as that without an assumption, faithful people aren't insecure and worried about that. They're content, like man, God's made me as a two talent person. I want to invest and multiply that the best I can, and then I'm rejoicing with the one that God's made into a ten talent person. Praise God for them, because in the end, we're all kind of contributing to managing the the property, the investment of the one who actually owns it. Does that make sense, guys? And you can spot someone who's struggling with faithfulness because they're insecure. They usually compare a lot. So here's six principles. Just I mentioned them briefly. We could spend six weeks on these. Each of them have a T except for the last one. I, man, I thought all week long, I, I got to find the last word for, the, for this one, right, with a T. I couldn't think of one. Maybe you can help me. But the idea of, you know, the title, the task, the truth, the tab, the time, and the scalability, those are all things that faithful people kind of embrace. Now, we don't always embrace them perfectly. We struggle through some of them. But faithful people are willing, based on this story of Matthew 25, the statement in 1 Corinthians 4, we're willing to say, you know what, this is kind of what faithfulness looks like and is. It's knowing that I don't own it, but I've got a responsibility in it. And this responsibility is about something very priceless and important. The the word, the work of God, the message of the gospel, and 
And giving an account for that one day is, is part and parcel of the project. And, and that account will include being measured by how well I, I multiply what God's given to me. And so if I can multiply that once, praise God. If it's eight times, if it's 15, God knows. He oversees that. He ordains it. I'm content. I'm just going to be the kind of person who's willing to, to accept what God's given me and use it to multiply his kingdom. That's the sign that you're talking to a faithful person. That's the kind of person then, as you spot them, you can say, you know what, I, I want to invest in them because they're highly likely then to pass it on to someone else. They have the right perspective. This is what is described as faithfulness in this story, in this statement. So that leads me really to kind of a, a definition I want to share with you. A two-word definition of faithfulness. I personally would define it as enduring initiative. If you were to press me on the chest and say, Todd, give me two words to define faithfulness. I think based on what I read in Matthew 25 and 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Timothy 2, the ways it's highlighted in the Bible, the way it's, uh, it's looked at, and even in these six principles, I would come away with just two words. It, it, it seems like faithfulness is best defined as an enduring Initiative. Notice that it's not just endurance. We're not saying, hey, just make it to the end. <laughs> if you can somehow be breathing at the end, you're good. We're not really saying that. Neither are we saying, hey, just get busy and do something. Don't worry about what it is. Just, just be busy. Whatever new thing you can find to do, just do it. We're not really saying that either. We're saying there's a sense in which faithfulness is... An enduring initiative. It's being willing to be proactive, responsible. One commentator even used the word intelligent and discerning in regards to how they stewarded the owner's property and stuff, investment. It's willing to, to embrace a lifestyle that says, I've got a responsibility. And yet, knowing that that is something we must do on a consistent, repeated, uh, in, a, in a consistent, repeated fashion. That sometimes it's easy to just do it one time or just start. But can we do that over the long haul? Can we be found faithful? And so after just kind of brainstorming and thinking through and praying through, I tend to think this is a workable definition. A faithful person is someone with enduring initiative. Now let me prove it to you. If I were to ask... Every wife in this room, would you like a husband who had enduring initiative? It'd be a unanimous vote for yes. A husband who, through thick and thin, sought her, desired her, came after her, wanted her, chased her, romanced her. Yes, even when they didn't do it well, and even wasn't doing great, tough times, uh, you know, good times, kind of like those marriage vows, right? Thick and thin, rich and poor, hungry, not hungry, right? But, but a husband who loved his wife like Christ loved the church, enduringly showing initiative to love them. Not a wife in this room would say, you know, I think I'd, I'm not really into that too much. I, and you would say that would be one faithful man. What would you say? This describes a faithful husband. One who, with enduring initiative, just continues to pursue his wife. And can I say that every husband here would love it if 
This described their wife. A wife with enduring initiative. I think you would like this about a friend. This is what the Lord asks for from his disciples. An enduring initiative where we don't need the credit. We don't own it anyway. But we have a responsibility to utilize and to manage and to steward and to invest what God has given us. And so we do that in people. And so we're consistently just proactively sharing the good news, investing in others. Sometimes it goes well, and to be frank, sometimes it doesn't. But we don't quit at the task of making disciples of all nations. We endure with initiative. As I thought about this definition, I was reminded of some of our work in Utah. We didn't always get a great hit in that work. Do you know that? Now, our team leaves again this year soon. The mission trips out there have been fantastic. It's not speaking of that angle. We sensed at one point God might be asking us to plant a church there, and we began to do some work in that way. Had a swing and a miss a couple times, and we, we kept trying. And finally, we as elders, and even the Midland churches kind of said, you know what? I don't think our role there is to plant the church. And it wasn't that just a good day of freedom. I'm looking at some elders here in the room. That, that was a good day of freedom for us. Like, you know what? We were knocking this door, and it's just not the door that God's going to open for us. And now, if you were to go to that part of Utah, they'll see this place in a few weeks. There's a, another thriving church in the very city we wanted to plant in with a guy who's from that area, who's an ex-Mormon, who's now got some solid theology and knows the people. He's the guy that should have planted it, amen? So we rejoice with that. We don't say, how come it wasn't us? None of that's going on. Because we, we want faithfulness. God's just given us an allotment of talents, so to speak, this, this investment. We thought that might be the place. It, it probably isn't. It's not right now. So we're good with that. And instead of quitting and saying, well, man, I guess we just can't plant any churches. Let's just say, well, that was a, a, didn't do that real well, but we can keep trying, can't we? And so we knock on the door in East Des Moines, and that went pretty good. Amen? Life changed church. We planted Bondurant. Same time we were looking at um, Utah, but Bondurant's gone well as, as well. Nick just baptized 14 in Urbandale. So here's what I'm saying. Just because something doesn't go great every time, don't assume that you have to quit because faithfulness is the initiative coupled with endurance where you just stay at the task. And sometimes you'll have successes and sometimes you won't. And this is true personally. You'd be surprised. In fact, I would say this to you in all transparency. I probably have more failures in regards to discipleship than I do successes. you know that? And Julie knows more about this than I do as far as our efforts, but there are just a number of people that we have really tried to invest in. And you know what? In the end, it just it didn't work. We would hit a certain point of obedience, and they would say to us, hey, you know what? That's really not what I'm interested in. Sometimes it was couples. Sometimes it was people. Most of the time, this happens with those people in our community that they're lost. They're not yet believers, and we get to know them. And... A lot of times, at a certain point, they're like, you know what, I don't think I want to talk to you more about this. So I just say to you in all transparency, I, I'm not, I don't even come close to batting 500 probably. You know that? I don't know what the average is, but I have a lot of no's. 
I have a lot of times I'm like, man, that just didn't work out. So do I, I go to my living room, turn on Netflix and say, well, I'm just waiting for the rapture. No, see, that's not, watch this church, listen to my heart here. That's not faithfulness. And I think sometimes in the American church, we think faithfulness is just, well, if you can just make it to the end with a breath, I I don't think the scriptures teach that. The scriptures show that faithfulness is actually, yes, making it, but with some sense of initiative. That we have been entrusted while the king's away with the king's at least initiated kingdom. To some degree, he brought it when he came. He's going to come again and consummate it in this time he's away. What are we doing as his disciples to manage this kingdom? It demands some type of endurance and some type of initiative. When those are coupled and we approach it that way, then we're faithful. And that's the kind of person that is a disciple. And that's the kind of person we should look for to be a disciple. This is why this is the qualifier Paul mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look for, in Timothy's case, faithful men. But just generally even, men and women, as we look for those who are, who are growing in their faith, those who would follow Christ, let's, let's spot and look for seeds of faithfulness so that as we then invest, that will grow and become a fruit as well. Well, I want to give you just a last summary phrase, but first I want to see if there's any questions and then we'll wrap this up briefly, Okay. Let's see if any questions came in through our text. And we've not taken questions in several months, so you may be surprised at that. But I thought today we'd kind of jump back into it. Let's see if any questions came in. I know one came in over email last week. I know we have that one. Uh, here's one. And is, is, are there any more to this, Ryan, or not? Is this the last one? Okay. Which is more important, faithfulness or fruitfulness? And this was asked uh, during the week. And most people, and I'm going to go out on a branch here and tell you what I think about this question. Most folks would say, well, faithfulness is. And then I've read some guys say, no, fruitfulness matters. I'm going to take a different position than both of those camps. Because I don't think the Bible divides these two. I realize that what I'm saying is recorded. And I'll probably have to answer for it. I'm good with that. I thought this through all week. I think it's an unnecessary and unbiblical division. Because where you see faithfulness, where you see biblical faithfulness, you will eventually see fruitfulness. I think faithfulness is fruitfulness, and I think fruitfulness is faithfulness. Did you know that? So I think it's an unnecessary and unwarranted division to ask, well, what's more important? The truth is, if you are genuinely biblically faithful in time, God will bring what he needs to that work and to that investment as he sees fit. And if you're not seeing any fruit at all, my contention might be to you, are you actually being faithful? Are you enduringly being proactive and initiating work for God's behalf? You may want to kick back at that a bit. And there are some really good scholars who might do that this week. We'll see. But I would challenge you that neither is more important. They both matter because they both work together. I think faithfulness is, in some ways, fruitfulness. And I think fruitfulness, in some ways, is faithfulness. When we realize that actually this is what God's after, enduring initiative that he then will bring his power to, it may be three years in one person's case. It could be like William Carey, who didn't see fruit for seven years. 
And often the, the best results of his work are now in missions after he's long gone. So we don't know how all this works together, but let's not unnecessarily divide what God has never divided in the scriptures. God has never put these two terms in competition with each other, okay? So if you encounter that conversation, if you read about the internet, if you find someone trying to say, well, are you faithful or fruitful? Just say, you know what? I'm both of those. God never divides them. He values both, and they work in tandem, I believe, every time. Is there one more question, Ryan? How do we foster relationship where discipleship can occur? This, too, is a, a longer email that I received this week. I'm going to try to answer this in a video form maybe as well, but let me just simply say this, that what has to happen in, as we're looking and spotting for faithfulness, as we're trying to live faithfully and then encounter that and help others be faithful, someone, say, someone, someone asks this, say, well, how do you find that person? How do you initiate that conversation? How do you even get attached to someone who you can disciple, they can disciple you. I think one of the first things that has to happen is this. We have to be willing to share where we're struggling. If everyone's always got it down pat, if everyone's batting a thousand, if you're always perfect, I don't think anyone knows where on the rope, remember the rope illustration? They don't know what knot you're stuck at. If you can never share that, that's really not a a, a totally healthy community. Okay, so let me give you an example of this. Out of those six principles of faithfulness, let me tell you the one that I struggle the most with is the last one. I have to really battle envy with those who have a lot more talents, those who've been given a lot more to oversee, those who've been given more opportunity, you know? Now, the truth is, God doesn't view it that way. Do you know that? And so that brings a lot of security to me. And so I, I, I think I'm there a lot, But just in all transparency, I have to consistently fight that in my life. It's something to do with some pride, I'm sure, as well. So I have to always battle this this desire, like, man, you know, what could be next? Is there more? Maybe is there a larger platform? And that's not healthy. And so sharing that with you is one of the ways I suspect that you'll say, I didn't know that about you, Todd, and so you'll be drawn to help me with that. Did you know that? That's the knot at the rope where sometimes I get stuck. And if we never share where we're vulnerable, where we're needing help in learning to obey Jesus, it's hard to know really how to either help someone or for them to help us. Would you agree with that? So can I just kind of push on you a little bit? And I know that Pastor Chris would echo this. We talked even this week about this. I want to push on you a little bit. In your small groups and even in your conversation, you don't have to be perfect. I don't think that's excusing sin. It's not giving room to, you know, like, well, it doesn't matter. I don't think you're saying that. I think it's okay to say, you know what, I'm struggling here. Could you help me learn to obey Jesus in this way better? And then as I said before, I think that's a time thing often. And as you find more victory there, then you can begin to help someone else who may have shared with you. But any biblically healthy community has to have avenues where people can share kind of where they're struggling. I think that's one, it's not the whole answer. That's a deep question. Wouldn't you agree? Whole books have been written on that. But I do think that's one area that we could improve on. That we could say, yeah, I'm, I'm probably just 
a little plastic at times. I've kind of got it all down pat. Everybody thinks I'm good. I run home and no one knows the real truth. Well, they really don't believe you. They do know the truth, actually. You just didn't. I, I think we could just share a little more in the right environments, in the right place, be more, more transparent about what we're struggling, and that would help foster some of these relationships that then would help us maybe get past the knot we're clinging to and learning to obey Jesus more. But just kind of at least a little snippet into that question. As we think about this idea of faithfulness now in regards to to that being the qualifier, let me just give you one final kind of summary statement for all of this. If we know what it's defined as, how to spot it, what it looks like, its priority in God's economy as well as in Paul's writing, if we see it as the overarching kind of trait we're after, here's what we can understand then. That really faithfulness uniquely reveals if we are understanding the true nature of the mission to manage and multiply God's kingdom. Did you know that? I think that's why he uses the word faithful to describe the kind of person to which we should entrust these weighty, important matters. Because when you find a faithful person who knows they're not the owner, but they have a responsibility, there's a day in which they'll give an account for that, and it's of importance, the the thing they're managing is highly valued, all that kind of together. When you find that person... You understand, while they understand the unique mission we've been given to manage the kingdom while the king's away, but also to multiply the kingdom. Faithfulness uniquely reveals if that person's kind of on that page and understands that. But it also does another thing. I think faithfulness uniquely equips us for this task. So you might can say our take-home truth is in two parts today. We see faithfulness uniquely revealing if we understand the nature of the mission, but it also uniquely encompasses all the traits necessary to engage in this mission. So if you were to ask me, Todd, what's the one thing I should do today then? I just want you to be enduringly proactive with what God's given you. Show enduring initiative. When the devil wants to keep your lips closed, but you know the Holy Spirit's prompting you to talk about the gospel, be enduringly proactive. Just open your mouth and trust the Lord to fill you with the words. When you want to hold your money, but you know God's Spirit's leading you to sacrifice it for His purposes, loosen your hands. Multiply the kingdom. When you know God's crossed your path with someone intentionally and clearly and you're to, you're to invest in their life, don't run to a crowded calendar and say, well, I don't have time. Ask God to create some space in your life for this unique opportunity. Does that make sense, guys? Enduringly initiate what God has given you, the investments He's left with you. That's faithfulness. As we do that, We'll be involved in making disciples. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.